0: What's going on everybody? Welcome into another edition of b Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer along for the ride with you here this afternoon. It is Wednesday afternoon, February 10th on the calendar as we are one week away from Cardinals spring training opening with the pitchers and catchers first workout. Media will not be in attendance for that one on February 17th because The facilities will not open to the media until the 22nd, which is the first full squad workout, but still should have some Zooms going on those days, I I think, from what the Cardinals have told us, and so we should have some information, even if we can't be there in person watching the way we typically can at that early of a date, but hopefully, waiting to see how that's going to work out the next week, be able to get to spring training and be able to have the podcast from Jupiter, Florida, and if not, we'll be back here in St. Louis doing the Zooms and recording the podcasts on a daily basis. Today, what we're going to get into is the Pocota first edition rankings, standings, whatever you want to call it, baseball prospectus, their Pocota projections that they put out each season, each season, they get it wrong when it comes to the Cardinals, they underestimate what the Cardinals are going to do, and it pretty much happens without fail a couple of years ago. And again, this is a hard thing to go back in time and, and look through and dissect because there's always an initial projection that they put out and then it adapts and develops as the preseason as spring training goes along based on signings, based on whatever it is, you know, players being traded, things happen that will adjust their projections because essentially what it's based on is, taking a look at all the players that they project for the roster and the depth chart, projecting playing time for those players and productivity within that playing time. And then they come up with a number of wins out of 162 that they predict each team is going to have. And this year's projections, as has been the case for many, many years in a row, as far back as I can find in Google searching for these Pocota projections, Pacoda has the Cardinals. Rated low and almost certainly lower than they're actually going to finish unless they have a lot of injuries and a vast degree of underperformance throughout the lineup. Pakota has the Cardinals pegged for 80.6 wins, which you round up 81 wins out of 162 is right around 500 or a touch below. That's what the initial release of Pakota has the Cardinals at. And if you go back over the years, which I tried to do, and there's some... Resources out there, people who have done a similar quest because they've noticed, as I have over the years, that Pakoda hates the Cardinals. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because the Cardinals historically have been a team predicated upon performance defensively, and so that's one element that Pakoda doesn't know how to get right, doesn't know how to quantify, how to value properly from year to year. I don't know if it's because... You know, the Cardinals win with pitching, which kind of goes into that defensive aspect. I, I can't quite figure it out. But since 2013, Pakoda has been wrong in the same direction on the Cardinals every single year. And I looked to try to find 2012. And when I clicked on the baseball prospectus spreadsheet where it says I could access it, it was forbidden. So I can't even look back that far. I'm sure at some point in time, there was a year when they thought the Cardinals would be really good, and then they were a little bit less than that, and so they were forever burned, and they didn't want to ever make that mistake again, so they just lop off two or three wins every year to make sure they're under whatever the Cardinals would ultimately come up with, but it's been very consistent, and so that's why, if you're a Cardinals fan, I'm sorry for wasting your, your day on this podcast on this Wednesday, because uh, I I truly think you should put zero weight toward it, and it, it's it's absolutely worthless. Which I'm not trying to say anything negative about the people who put out th- these projections. I'm sure they're fine folks, but I could do zero modeling, zero analysis, and tell you and be more accurate every single year over the course of the last eight or nine than they are on the Cardinals, and I have been when I come out. You know, to to their credit, they're often doing this, and we're looking at what they say in February, whereas. I'm waiting oftentimes to officially make my prediction till the end of spring training. At the end of this podcast, I'll, I'll throw out a prediction for Cardinal season, though, and we'll see who gets closer, them or me. But I have no problem with saying that this is pretty much fundamentally worthless as an exercise. But people pay attention to it throughout the industry every year. Um, it, you know, it's it's modeling that they're doing, it's projections that they're doing that i the math behind it is i'm sure is far beyond my comprehension and so i want to give some respect to that but i give no respect to the whatever they're using on the cardinals because it's never right and you and you pretty much are always going to be able to tell before the season starts that it's not right last year they weren't too incredibly far off but once again i'm not going to give them credit for being only a few games away because they're always a few games away in the same direction and then sometimes far more than that So looking back at this list, before I get into why I disagree with their projection for this season, I'm just going to take you all the way back to 2013 real quick and tell you what the differences have been between Dakota's projections, initial projections, where they're available, and I'll tell you where they're not, and then what the Cardinals actually do at the end of the year. Last year, they were projected, projected, projected. For 80 and 82, which was a little bit less than they're projected for this year, despite the fact that they've added Arenado. But I'm not going to get into that yet. I said I was going to go through this first. So 80 wins last year was the projection. That's a winning percentage of 494. Of course, they didn't play 162 games, and so we have to use winning percentages. But rather than be two games below 500, as they predicted, the Cardinals were two games over 500, didn't get to have their last two games against Detroit only played 58 but that's a win percentage of 517 so a decent gap there underestimating the cardinals 2019 86 was the initial win projection the cardinals 191 five win difference 2018 it was 84 and 88 a four win difference 2017 was 76 and 83 a seven win difference previous year 82 and 86 a four win difference 15 they weren't even close 89 and 100 the year the cardinals Won a very competitive NL Central, but lost to the Cubs in the NLDS. That was an 11-win difference from the Prado projections. And look, I would understand in in some cases if you had a team that went crazy like that 2015 Cardinals team did. If I look at the projections and they say, okay, typically what they're doing is they're not they're they're playing it safe. They're not predicting anybody to win 100 games, and they're usually not predicting anybody to lose more than 100 games. But that's not really the case because this year's Dodgers are predicted for 103 wins. And so, while I think the Dodgers are inarguably among the top two or three teams in baseball, they're coming off a world championship and they they got better in the offseason. Adding Trevor Bauer is enough to do that. But a prediction for 103 wins for any team is pretty bold because things can go wrong, injuries can happen, and even if that team ends up winning 95 games... They still had a great year. That's an eight-win disappointment. So typically I would think you would want to adhere toward safety, toward the middle of a projection. But that's not really what they've done this year with some of the teams. So it's not like they couldn't have, you know. But again, 11-win difference in 2015. Cardinals had a good defensive team, I guess. They pitched really, really, really well over their heads in a lot of ways that year. So maybe that's where they miss on the Cardinals. 2014, they weren't that far off, but I can't find a projection from February, from early February when they release it. The, the The only thing I could find on a quick Google search was like the very before preseason projection when they had 88 Cardinals, 190, and so that's a difference of two. That's fine, not a big deal. But again, what was it different earlier in the in the spring? And if you're gonna miss by two, you'd think eventually in eight, nine years, whatever it's been, they would actually miss in the other direction, but it never has happened. 2013, the last year I could find, they weren't even close. 84 for the Cardinals, Cardinals won 97. So throughout those, I can count them up real quick. Eight seasons, there were different personnel for the Cardinals, there were different players, there were different managers, there were different strategies used by the team. Some of those teams could win with pitching and defense. Some of them had better hitting than others you're not always going to be the same team over the year. But the uniform, the name on the front of the jersey, the Cardinals, Pakoda's never liked them. I don't know why. So let's get into why I disagree with, now that we've set the stage for, it's not just me saying and and people on social media saying, Pakoda hates the Cardinals. I mean, you can just look at the data, and every year they miss in that same direction. I would be very surprised if they miss in a different direction this year. If the Cardinals are actually worse than an 80 win team, 81 win team in 2021. That 80.6 win projection that they have for the Cardinals has them finishing third in the division behind the Brewers and the Cubs. And the Brewers have a a nice and trumped up win projection if I can scroll to it here and find they've got the Brewers winning the division ahead of Cardinals and Cubs with 89 wins, which gives them, according to their projections, 55% odds to win the division. I don't know how they come up with that. Cubs, 85 wins. I don't think that's far off for the Cubs. I think 89 is a little high for the Brewers. They must really like their pitching, which is fair. I mean, guy like Brandon Woodruff, you got some other guys that have emerged for that rotation, where a couple years ago we were talking about how are the Brewers winning despite not really having any stud starting pitchers. They might have a couple of anchors for that rotation this year that can help them out. But, I I mean, 89 wins and seeing the Cardinals at a touch under 81 with a 9% odds to win the division, I don't necessarily see it. Because the Cardinals were better than that last year. Maybe not by a huge margin, but they were better than that last year. And the offense the Cardinals got across the board was pitiful. It was awful compared to what, and, and I know that we came into last year talking about the Cardinals and the theme surrounding that team being improvement offensively, incremental improvements, if you remember that phrase, that you just needed the guys who hit poorly the year before but had better averages in their career to get a little bit closer to those career averages and the Cardinals were going to be okay. As it turned out, they didn't get closer to career averages. Goldschmidt had a better year offensively. Uh, Harrison Bader had a better year offensively. Nobody else really did. I don't think there was a single player who did that was on the team before and then was on the team again in 2020. Carpenter was substantially worse. He was supposed to be someone that got way better. He was substantially worse. Tyler O'Neill was worse. He hit 173. Carpenter hit 186. DeYoung, 671 OPS. He was worse. Colton Wong, 675 OPS. He was a good performer the year before, but he was much worse last year. He doesn't factor into these projections, though, because he's not on the team anymore. I guess i got to give Pakoda a little bit of credit for giving the Brewers all that love because they added a player that I thought the Cardinals should have retained in Wong, and so I'm sure he's contributing a couple of wins, at least to their prediction of 89. So that's fair. I can live with that. Yadier Molina, 662 OPS. I guess off the top of my head, I don't know if that was worse than it was the year before that, but it's not great. Uh, Quick scroll suggests, though, that it was indeed worse. He was 711 the year before that. I mentioned O'Neal. Dexter Fowler doesn't factor in, but he was a little bit worse in 2019 than he was, or pardon me, in 2020 than he was in 2019, down to a 706 OPS. Tommy Edmond is a huge one. Because he burst onto the scene as a rookie and was tremendous in 2019 with an 850 OPS, one of the leaders of the Cardinals by that, by that regard, by that metric, on base, plus slugging percentage. Last year, he was 685, a substantial decrease. And a big question is what kind of Tommy Edmond are the Cardinals going to get this year. Is it going to be closer to the rookie year, Tommy Edmond, or the 2020 Tommy Edmond? I have to imagine it's closer to the rookie version, but probably not to that level. If he could even be a, a 780 OPS, it's, it's Harrison Bader. He was 779 this past year in 2020. A lot of people are you know, down on him, but he that's what it was. It was a number nearly 100 points better than Edmund, who people don't seem to have as much negative to say about. Both of them play good defense, different positions. Edmund probably going to be stationed at second base this year. But his offense wasn't what it should have been last year. But a lot of that you can chalk up to the pandemic, the shortened season, the fact that the Cardinals were in hotel rooms in Milwaukee for however the hell long it was. There were a lot working against the Cardinals from being an adept hitting team last year. And yet they still were above 500. They still... uh, Dylan Carlson, 6'16 OPS... He's going to blow that out of the freaking water this year. He's got to. So there was a lot that worked against the Cardinals from being a good offensive team last year, and yet they were still above 500. They still made the postseason. They were really close to being able to turn a game two on its head and take out the Padres and advance to the NL divisional round last year. And they were a terrible offensive team. They just didn't have the, Brad Miller. I understand if you're looking at Pakoda comparing last year to this year, I might as well talk about the good. Miller was an 8.07 OPS that gave the Cardinals some huge at-bats throughout that season. He's not in the fold for this year. I don't believe he's signed anywhere, but unless they're bringing him back on like a minors deal, kind of like they've done in the past with guys approaching spring training, unless they do that, I don't think he's going to be back involved. It kind of would make sense, though, to bring him back with the departure of Wong. But if you've got Carpenter and you've got Tommy Edmond that you're planning for second base and you know your third base job is pretty much locked up and not it's not somebody over there that's going to need very many days off, less playing time at second base between three people. I don't know if you're going to add Brad Miller into that mix. But at any rate, he performed well last year and was one of the few Cardinals that did so. Of the guys that rated enough to have plate appearances, in the, let's just say above 100, let's say above 50. There are only two that had an OPS greater than 800. It was Miller and it was Goldschmidt. So offensively, the Cardinals were not very good last year. I think we know that by now. They added Nolan Arenado. That should help. Now, Arenado was not an OPS above 800 last year either, but I think it's the first time in his career that's been the case. He's been drastically better than that every other year. Again, Cardinals chalking that up to the pandemic season. I guess baseball prospectus is not because you look at what their projections are for Dylan Carlson and guys, it's it's low. It's like less than a win, I believe, they gave Carlson. And that's not exactly win above replacement. It's a different metric. It's got different letters. It's a different acronym. But it's pretty much the same concept. They don't think Carlson's going to be a guy adding multiple wins, two, three, four wins to the Cardinals, like an all-star caliber outfielder. A lot of Cardinals fans think he can be that guy, Uh, he wasn't that guy last year. He was horrible though earlier in the campaign and then he picked it up at the end. I think understandably there was a learning curve for him and having seen him play, I think he's the kind of guy that's got the right mindset, has a good head on his shoulders, is going to be able to perform this year. Like the Cardinals are counting on Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas looked lost last year. We've since learned the extent to which COVID was impacting his game. Even after he recovered from it, it was like he had dizzy spells. he was He was absolutely not himself. I would liken it to in Space Jam when the Monstars take the powers, the talent from the NBA players when they're wearing the big trench coat. I, it literally looked like that with Lane Thomas at times last year. I don't expect it to look like that for Lane Thomas again. I think he's going to be much better. And so I don't see how the Cardinals get several games worse when you're just looking at the offense because – I'll run up and down the board. I think DeYoung at least has an OPS of seven hundred. And that would be a thirty point raise from last year, and that wouldn't even be that great. You know, that would not be I don't even think his career averages are close to that low. Matt Carpenter, I don't know what he's gonna bring to the table. You'd like to think it's better than a, a three hundred fourteen slug and a one hundred eighty six batting average for a six forty OPS, but maybe it's not, so I we'll see. We'll see what he's got left in the tank. You'd like to think O'Neill better than 621, right? I mean, good grief. He tied for the team leading home runs, but he hit 173. I don't think he can be that bad. O'Neill would tell you he couldn't be that bad. So there's Tommy Edmond cannot be 685 OPS. I don't think he will be. I don't think he'll be 850. But 725, 740, 750, that seems well within the realm of possibility. And Dylan Carlson will not be 616. He will not hit 200. He will not OBP 252, and he's going to slug better than 364. He's going to slug at least 400. If I, I mean, he's going to be a doubles machine. He's going to hit his homers. I don't think Dylan Carlson's going to have any problems. So when I look up and down at this Cardinals lineup and what's what's changed from last year, what needs to happen this year? I, you added Arenado. You did not get worse offensively. Stop it. But let's talk about the pitching because maybe that's where the Cardinals have taking a step back. I don't know specifically off the top of my head what the individual projections were for the rotation coming into last year. It really doesn't matter, though, because we're talking about what they did, what they performed as, as an above 500 team. But they did lose Dakota Hudson later in that season, and they won't have him this year. And so obviously he's not included in the projections, and his performance was included in the actual record the Cardinals had in 2020. So that's one element. But you got Jack Flaherty, should be healthy, knock on wood. Full season of him, should be an ace caliber starting pitcher. You got Adam Wainwright back. He was great last year. I don't know what the projections are on him specifically, but I imagine you're going to get something similar to what he gave you last year. Maybe a little bit of a, of a downturn, because if, it'll be a larger sample size. But wayno is going to be wayno if he's healthy. Michaelis is somebody that you get back that you didn't have a year ago. That's a whole starting pitcher. So he basically replaces Hudson. I think Hudson, uh, the the metrics probably wouldn't agree, but I I prefer Hudson a little bit to Michaelis when both are at full health, but both can be effective pitchers. Michaelis has been an innings eater the two years he was healthy for the Cardinals, 2018 and 2019. And hopefully he's able to get back to that strength and be that kind of pitcher again in the rotation. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Another guy that could be vying for a shot in the rotation, especially after Austin Gomber was traded. What he gave you last year toward the end was invaluable. For the whole season, his numbers don't look that good, but I think you can expect his full season numbers if he's a starter for the Cardinals for the same number or or more games. I think he'll be better. Pakoda might not even say very much about him, though. That would be fine. I would understand that kind of a prove-it sort of deal. Prove it over the course of a season sort of deal. That's fine. Uh, Kwon Yun Kim is going to be in the rotation. He was great last year. He probably won't be as good this year. But he can still be serviceable at at worst, I would have to imagine, in the rotation. Dude can pitch. He can flat out pitch. League's going to be able to catch up to his style and his deception a little bit this year, I think, now that they've got a book on him. And so he's not going to have a 1.6 ERA or whatever he did last year. That's not going to happen again. But he can still be good. And that's another guy who eats innings. Because he, he pitches to contact, and you still have, defensively, despite the loss of Wong, a, a, an excellent defense. And he, he also pitches to fly ball contact. And you have a gold-glove left fielder in O'Neill. You have Bader, who has been a gold-glove candidate, and will probably win one at some point in his career if he plays enough. It's all going to be about how much he can he can get out there. Because he is elite, his skills defensively. Dylan Carlson... Athletic defender, I I don't know if he's quite on the level of the other two, but he can play any of the positions. He's a solid athletic kid, can play all the outfield spots well. Not concerned about him. Lane Thomas, I think, is the same thing. Dexter Fowler had kind of lost a step, and you replace him in the outfield with a younger outfielder who can maybe cover more ground, a little more fleet of foot at this stage in, in, in his career, whether you're talking about Thomas or Carlson or whoever it is. So I think the defensive alignment of the Cardinals outfield, we're going to have plenty of conversations about whether or not they can produce enough offensively as a group. But defensively, I don't think there's any concern, and I think they're going to be better this year than they were a year ago when they had a Gold Glover and another Gold Glove candidate. They're going to have both those guys back, and then I think you're going to get a little more defensively from right field. Not that Fowler was terrible, and he actually, I think, got better after that 2018 debacle. I think he was better the last two years. But I think you're going to be upgrading if you if you have Carlson there primarily instead of Fowler, or if you have Carlson in left when Lane Thomas is playing right field, whatever. I think it's an upgrade defensively. That benefits Kwan Yun Kim, benefits all the pitchers. Don't think that should necessarily be overlooked when you're looking at Pakoda projecting those 80 wins for the Cardinals. Talk about Carlos Martinez. I don't know. I don't know that he's going to be in that rotation mix. Looked good evidently during the Caribbean Series. He struck out Yachty on three pitches when he was pitching for the Dominican Republic, and So he'll be somebody that I think the Cardinals will bring in as a starter to spring training. Internally, they will have very little, if they don't trade him, which I guess is always a possibility, but it hasn't happened yet. So I think coming into spring, he'll go in as a starter, and they'll have internally very little, not very little hope, but very little expectation. They won't be counting on him as, yes, he is locked in one of our five. He pitched too badly last year for that to be the case in his first spell back as a starter since 2017 or the beginning of 2018. And I've been the guy beating the drum for Carlos Martinez over the years to get back in the, into the rotation. Hey, they did it. It didn't work. You can, you can give the reasons for why it didn't work. If I'm giving a pass to Lane Thomas for COVID, I should also give one to Carlos Martinez, you could argue, because Carlos actually was hospitalized and had to have IV fluids. And the disease, we're not even talking about the aftermath, it hit him hard while he had it. And we've known about that. So give maybe Carlos a little bit of a pass, but is it the kind of deal where mentally you're kind of filing him away in a different category because of all the issues over the years where you don't necessarily know what to expect? I think that's fair, especially when you're talking about Lane Thomas. I think he can be a serviceable fourth, third outfielder versus Carlos Martinez. You need somebody reliable in one of those starting rotation spots and, and you might have other options ahead of him. Henesis Cabrera could be a guy that gets a look as a starter. Alex Reyes, that would be a whole heck of a lot of fun if they really give him a long look and physically he can handle it. But if that's not the case, you could end up having Carlos Martinez, who has been effective in a bullpen role. You could have Alex Reyes back where he was and Genesis Cabrera back where he was last year. Three guys locking down the back end of the bullpen, not to mention Giovanni Gallegos, who was the best reliever, one of the best relievers in baseball in 2019. So that's a foursome, a fearsome foursome right there. And then you can round things out with a growing Ryan Helsley, a growing Junior Fernandez, a guy like Tyler Webb, who's been reliable in the role that he's filled. Haven't even said the name Andrew Miller yet. John Gant was tremendous last year. Cody Whitley could have been pretty good, but he ended up having COVID and then an injury. And so he missed most of the summer. They've got some arms out there where the Cardinals' bullpen could be one of the best in baseball if guys stay healthy and perform to their capabilities. And so, you know, we've we've kind of gone over everything. We think they're going to be as good, if not better, defensively. Offensively, they've got to be better. I'd be shocked if they were worse. If their team OPS or whatever metric you want to use, it's one I like to reference because it's a catch-all for on-base slugging added together. Okay, that's your OPS. I know there are more accurate ways to look in, you know, wins above replacement things like that. But that that I just want to bake in offense in, in a simple way, OPS does that with without just talking batting average, just talking RBIs, things that you can't really derive a lot of value from. And so that's what I've been using. I, whatever metric you want to use, though, I think the Cardinals will be better offensively than they were last year. Uh, the pitching I think will be a little bit worse from the starters. But because you do lose Hudson, I do have questions about Michaelis coming off the injury. At any point in time, anybody else can get hurt. Flaherty should be better. Wainwright might take a little bit of a step back because he was just so gosh darn good last year. Ponce de Leon, while he could be a little bit better, yeah, I you know, Kwang Young Kim's going to be worse because he was out of his mind last year. So I'm just looking. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be conservative. To be like, all right, what are these guys with Picota coming up with, and how can I get myself into a frame of mind where I'm like, okay, you know what, I see it. And so I'll, even being conservative, I'll say the Cardinals, a little bit worse ERA from their starters, a little bit worse performance from their starters this coming season than last year. Bullpen I was really good last year. I think they, they have a chance to be just as good as they were a year ago, if not better, if you get Carlos Martinez into that mixture. I think they can be really good. So, I just don't see how you lose several games. Like, if I plug in for the Cardinals, what a five seventeen win percentage would have been across 162. Would have been 83.75 wins. Round that up to 84. I don't think the Cardinals got three wins worse from 80.6, which is what their Pocota projection stands at as of now, to 83.75, which is what they would have won across 162 last year. Based on their win percentage, it's a three win difference. I don't think they're three wins worse. The caveat that Piccola does not have Yadi or Molina included in this, I'll give it, but over the last two years, Yadi's been 1.7 wins above replacement total. So it's less than one win per year, essentially, about one win per year if you figure in the shortened season last year. So even if, if Yadi adds one win to their projection, like Cardinals fans would say Yadi adds more than that, he adds more than what his war would tell you. Pocota, though, they don't look at all that. They're looking at the numbers and the data and the statistics, and they'll probably put them around a win, I would have to imagine. If it's more than that, I'd be surprised. But that still puts the Cardinals only at like 81, 82 wins, close, knocking on the door of 82, 81 and a half, essentially. I don't think the Cardinals lost two wins by adding Arenado You did lose Wong, but I think Arenado as much as I love Colton, I think is the better, more productive player can add more wins to the team if he's playing to his capabilities. Maybe Pocota thinks that he won't, but I think that you add based, based on making that trade-off rather than subtract. You figure you're going to get Tommy Edmund in the second base. Pocota does like Tommy Edmund decently from what I've seen, and he's going to be worth a couple of wins there. Carpenter's going to pitch in. That's going to be helpful. I think I just don't see it. I, I'm going to be willing to admit when I'm wrong, but coming into this year, As we wrap up this podcast, I'm going to give you what I think this Cardinals team looks like. And to me, acknowledging that the NL East is really dominant, they've got four teams that could potentially win that. And the one that I'm not counting on, the Marlins, did make the playoffs last year. So deep division in the East. The West has two juggernauts that could be the two best teams in baseball playing in the same division with the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, The bottom of that division could be a little bit weaker, but it remains to be seen. The Central is going to be the weakest division of all of them. I imagine the Central will have losing records when playing. When just factoring in the whole division's record against the East and the West, respectively, uh, the Central is going to have to win some games against itself. The Pirates are going to be pretty bad. They could lose a hundred games. I can't really figure out what to make of the Reds right now, but I, you know, they're going to be a team hovering around five hundred, maybe a little bit below. If I had to just give a, a gut feel on what their t- what their season could look like. The Cubs, I think, 85. That's actually pretty close to what I predict. The, the Cubs are not going to fall off a cliff, unless they keep trading guys away because they still have a good core of offensive talent. Their pitching could be a, a bit of a problem. You lose Yu Darvish, it's not going to make you any better on that end of things. But they did get Zach Davies back in that trade. Who he's not Yu Darvish, but he's like serviceable as a starter, a decent number three kind of guy. So I think 85 wins, I could absolutely see that for the Cubs. So on them, Pocota might have it pretty close to what I would have it. The Brewers, though, I'm not so sure about 89. I think more like 83, 84. But then I think, well, man, if those other divisions are so much better than the Central, which I think they kind of are, is it going to be harder for the Central to even get that many teams to 500? Even though we should acknowledge they made four teams in the postseason last year. Only division to do that, if I recall correctly. So did all these teams take massive steps back? No, but all the teams around them in the other divisions got better and nobody in the Central really did that except for arguably the gosh darn Cardinals who if they were over 162 last year would have won about 84 games. I say yes, the Cardinals did get better from last year to this year. I'm going to go with about... mm, I'm I'm 87 and a half right now is where I'd set the over under and I'll take the over by just a smidge. I'll go 88 wins as of right now which I think is more than enough to win the Central. I reserve the right to change this pick as we get closer to the season. But in order to be fair to to Pocota, who projects him for like 80, and maybe they'll meet in the middle and it'll be 84 and there won't be a winner. But for once, you'd think they could say, oh yeah, the Cardinals, we think they're going to be pretty good. And then it's like, oh no, they weren't as good as we thought they would be. Hasn't happened in eight or nine years it's not going to happen this year if I had to if I had to guess but that's what we're looking at heading into the 2021 season Cardinals pakota projections. slightly under 500 what do you think the cardinals finish with you can give out your predictions send me a tweet at Schaefer 12 feel free to drop a voicemail message onto the podcast go to anchor.fm slash bhafer 12 slash message in order to do that you can leave your own voice telling me what you think of the cardinals this year ask any questions that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, and we can definitely get that done. But we'd love to have your thoughts on the show, on the Cardinals coming into the season, readily available. And you can subscribe to the show as well at anchor.fm slash bshafer12. You go there, and that's where you can find all the platforms that the show is located on, which includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the main ones that you're going to find podcasts. You'll find us there as well. It's B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys for joining this episode of the show. We will be back tomorrow on Thursday with another episode of B-Shape Daily. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to hit me up on Twitter. Tomorrow might be a discussion about the starting rotation, unless somebody comes up with something else that they'd like to have me talk about. I've gotten a few requests for that, and so we'll probably roll with that tomorrow. Just a, a preliminary look at where the rotation stands. I know I talked about it a little bit today, but we'll get into some more depth tomorrow uh, unless some news breaks and we're forced to talk about that. Appreciate you guys once again, and we will talk to you tomorrow.